Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A little bit of of a review. We did um, chapter 15, 1 through 19. So we've done that verse by verse. Last Sunday, we did 20, 21, and 22. And we never really went any farther than that. From 23 to the rest of the chapter, I touched on uh, the last couple of verses where it deals with um, uh, Paul actually talking about death. And uh, so we, we touched on it, but I'd like to go through um, starting with uh, 20, verse by verse, and then chapter 16 is sort of a doxology, a farewell to um, um, the, the conclusion of the book of, of uh, 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> and it's personal as he talks about uh, different people, especially Timothy, and um, we'll get into that. So we should be able to finish the book tonight, but in way of remembrance, um, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, I read last week, is probably um, one of the 10 most important chapters in the entire Bible. We made a point of that, and it is because it deals with uh, the resurrection of the dead. Even, even in Judaism, they were divided on that. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the first four verses is actually the gospel itself uh, laid out. And after the resurrection, the next main event that Paul is going to talk about in our study tonight is Pentecost. Um, Pente means 50, and it would be 50 days after um, the the crucifixion and uh, the resurrection. And then on Pentecost, we had the birth of the church. And what a lot of people don't realize is that everybody in the early church, they were all Jews. There were no Gentiles um, at all until um, we get to Acts chapter 10, and that's gonna be the first place I'm gonna ask you to turn tonight, is to the book of Acts chapter 10. Peter, at this time, is getting ready to have lunch, and he's hungry, and so where he was staying, uh, he went up on the roof, and he was just waiting for the dinner bell to ring so he could go eat, but while we, he was there, um, it said he became hungry and he went into a trance, so either it was a vision or a trance, but whatever it was, he actually saw something coming out of the sky, um, a sheet um, bound at the four corners, and it descended, and on this sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals, 
of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. The common denominator of all these is that they were unclean for a Jew to eat. They had um, um, certain animals that were considered clean and certain ones that were considered unclean. All of them on this blanket were unclean. And a voice came to Peter and said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter, being Peter, said, not so, Lord. Now that's what you call an oxymoron. (laughs) Not so, Lord. (laughs) And um, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. He was brought up, and that was just his lifestyle. And a voice said to him again, the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this thing was done three times. Why? Because Peter is thick-headed. And that message had to get through because, um, and repeated, and uh, he's wondering what in the world is going on. And while he's thinking about what he just saw, um, the first part of the chapter tells us of a Gentile named Cornelius and uh, a man in Caesarea called Cornelius um, who wanted, wanted to uh, know what was going on and an angel appears to him and he tells, the angel tells Cornelius to send for Peter. So this is what Peter's doing and in the meantime, these guys show up right after he's had this vision or a trance or whatever it was. And um, he, he, uh, these men knock on the door that Peter was staying at. And they said, um, an angel has appeared to us and we've been told to bring you to a centurion whose name is Cornelius. So that means he has authority in the Roman um, army. And um, so the next day, Peter is on his way to his house and Cornelius was waiting for them, but he had also called together his relatives and his close friends. Words out, Peter's on his way. So he gathers his family and his friends together. And um, what Peter, from verses 26 all the way up to verse 43, I'm not going to read it, I'll um, just explain it to you um, simply. Um, He was staying in Joppa, which is real close to... um, Tel Aviv. You can actually walk there, and we've walked there several times from our hotel. And um, it's to me, um, Joppa is uh, one of the most beautiful towns in Israel because it's relatively unchanged. Tel Aviv is a cosmopolitan type city, very, very modern. And um, Joppa is just the opposite. It's um, a right on the Mediterranean Sea. Um, It's a fishing industry town. And um, 
they find Peter who's staying at a tanner's house by the sea and they bring him to Cornelius' house and he began to explain the gospel. Verse 38, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with the power who went about doing good. Now I got that underlined in my Bible because that's what he was known for. He just went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So he's basically preaching the gospel to them and he explains that uh, he arose from the dead. So after um, this sharing the gospel, in verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And to him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, who whoever believes in him will receive remission of sin. End of Bible study, because it gets interrupted. They had to be sitting on the edge of their seats listening as this is being presented to um, um, this first Gentile. And when they heard that he has the ability to forgive sin, that, like the thief on the cross, when they heard it, they believed it. Doesn't tell us that here, but that's what happened. And the reason I know that to be the case is what happened next. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Um, The Holy Spirit cannot come upon you or in you unless, like the thief on the cross, you acknowledge you're a sinner. Now they just found out that Jesus is the one who forgives sins. And then I believe it was an instantaneous reaction that the group of the whole says in their heart when then we accept Jesus to forgive our sins. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them and this is um, what, why we came here in verse 45. And those of the circumcision or the Jews who believed, well, they were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For when they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So this is significant because this was unthinkable that a Gentile could be saved. The other thing that I'll point out here, in Acts chapter eight, when Philip was preaching the gospel in Samaria, a lot of miracles, people getting saved, um, the town sorcerer, he even gets saved, and um, they believed and were baptized. But then it tells us, but the Holy Spirit had not fallen on any of them that had only been baptized. So they called to Jerusalem for Peter and John, uh, who come up, they lay hands on them, and then they receive 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's your point, Dwight? Well, you can't put God in a box. There, they were baptized and then filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and then they're baptized. And so, um, after the conversion of Cornelius, um, uh, they had to accept the fact that the, the gospel was for all, not just the Jews. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. And like I said, last Sunday, uh, we covered uh, those three verses, 20 through 22. But I want to go back and, and start just to refresh your memory. Um, because we really didn't uh, finish um, the rest of the chapter. So let's go back to verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now death is never used for a believer who dies. Only the word, he's fallen asleep. For since by man's man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The Lord told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you're going to die. They ate and um, uh, the tree of life which was in the garden, which is um, put there. We read it again in Revelation. But now they're in a fallen state, and every man, every person here, every person watching live stream, you've inherited this. It's the deadliest disease, and everybody has it, without exception. Oh, one exception. Jesus is the only one who never sinned. And, but everybody else, and a lot of people don't consider themselves sinners. Um, and we go on here, it was because of Adam that all die. All means all. <laughs> Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That is to those who receive him. But each one in his own order Christ, the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Uh, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, and when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. All right, let's, let's walk through this because we're very close to a lot of this unfolding right now. Um, I'm going to have a special study on Sunday. We're going to read about the rapture tonight. But I could talk for the next half an hour of just three major events that are earth-shattering all could lead to major wars just within the last two days. And I'm just going to use the rapture as we get into teaching what the rapture, because it's in chapter 15 on Sunday, it's not just gonna be about the rapture. It's gonna be 
how close we are to the rapture because how quickly things are changing. Can I give you just one little teaser? I didn't hear hardly anything. Oh, you do want to hear a little teaser. Oh, okay, I'll give you a little teaser. This, this was in the Beijing newspaper yesterday. Maybe today, but no later than yesterday. Headlines. Um, the government in China is telling every Chinese person in China to buy as much food for this winter. Go out and do it and get as much as you can for this winter. And you go, gee, I wonder why they would do that. Well, it doesn't take, be a rocket scientist to figure it out. There's something coming down. All right, that's one of five other things that have happened just within the last couple of weeks that are just as dramatic. And it, it paints a picture that it's very, very late. Um, so that's where we're headed to on Sunday. So we have here, um, making it down to where it says he will put all things under his feet, we have to go through some very difficult times until that happens. I believe we're experiencing things now that will precede and go into the great tribulation. I think the stage is set for that to happen. And um, I think it's gonna be a very, very difficult and hard winter for many. And I, there's so many aspects of that from the border to the econ- our economy to um, um, rumors of Chinese troops up in Canada coming across the border, the border of uh, Mexico and into the States. And it's, it's a perfect type scenario that's happening um, for the purpose of a one world government, socialism, communism. And uh, China has come right out and said, we want to have world domination. They're not even keeping it a secret. So leading up to that, um, before, after that happens, we enter into the great tribulation period. Now the reason I'm bringing this up is Paul is explaining to the Corinthians that um, um, 25, when he puts an end to all the earthly rule, it says, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his foot. Okay, turn with me to Psalm 110. And we, I want to tie the Old and the New Testament together here. And just read the first verse of Psalm 110. It's a Psalm of David. And it says, the Lord said to my Lord. Well, there you have uh, the Trinity right there. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. When Jesus ascended into heaven, what did he do? He sat down at the Father's right hand. Until I make your enemies your footstool. So what um, Peter, we, you can go back to uh, 1 Corinthians, and verse 25 says, 
until he puts all enemies under his feet. Well, he's drawing that verse, what he's saying right here, the reason he knows it is because he knows Psalm 110 verse one. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And now here, um, Peter is picking it up. All right, verses 26 through 34. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. If you're taking notes, that's Revelation 20, verse 14, where it says, death, no more. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more death. For he has put all things under his feet. There it is again. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God. And um, at this time, um, in talking about the rapture in Matthew 24, it, uh, well, I'll just turn to it real quick and just read one verse. <clears throat> he says, talking about the rapture of the church, verse 36, but of that day and hour no one knows No, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus was fully man, and he was fully God. But evidently, in his human body, here is a decision that only the Father is going to make, and nobody knows it but the Father. What is he talking about? Well, as it was in the days of Noah. And um, um, it talks, these are the verses where two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other one left. As long as we're there, I'm gonna read the importance of why Jesus is saying this. He says, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't expect him. So that could happen at any time. And people have their day-by-day routine And the rapture of the church isn't something that we continually think about, but we're told to watch. Watch for what? Well, I think all the things that are happening in the world right now. And that's why we're going to tie that into uh, the the rapture on the Sunday. So we left off in verse uh, 26, um, then 28. Now all things are made subject to him, so the Son himself will put all things under him that God may be all in all. Now in verse 29, uh, again, the debate here is about the order of the resurrection. And um, some were saying uh, earlier that in verse 12, now it's, of chapter one, Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, 
then Christ is not risen and we're still on our sins and we're all wasting our time here tonight, basically. It's all about the resurrection. That's why it's one of the most top 10 chapters in the entire Bible. It's a, it's a debate. Now he's gonna use um, baptism as an illustration where it says in verse 29, otherwise what will they do who are baptized for the dead? Um, why are you guys baptizing people if you don't believe in the resurrection? If the dead do not rise at all, why are they baptized for they are dead? Now this is part of Mormon theology. Mormons actually baptize and have people um, get baptized for somebody who wasn't baptized. So it's tied into Mormonism. And then he carries the argument even farther. I'd be, Paul's basically um, saying here, I'd be a fool if I did not believe in a resurrection. And why do we stand in jeopardy every day? Every, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere Paul went, he preached the gospel and got thrown into jail. Why do I do that? Why do I put my life on the line every day if there's no resurrection? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And uh, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down Romans chapter six, verses one through six, where it explains um, baptism. And it's an outward sign of an inward work. When you're baptized, you go down to the water and you're being buried. That's what it tells us. And then you come back out of the water and it's a a picture and a symbol of, of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus died, but then he rose again. You get baptized, you get saved, you get baptized, you go down to the water. Um... And it says that you are a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. So he's using this illustration of, of, um, of why, why do I put my life on the line. Uh, verse 32, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to be if the dead do not rise? <laughs> what the heck, let's, let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And then he takes it farther, and I want, to, I want you to remember that these are Corinthians. Everything that Paul is saying right now, they've never heard any of this before, none of it. And so he's explaining, remember the association with the sexual immorality in um, um, uh, chapter five? And um, they, didn't, they didn't think anything of it. They were completely clueless when it came to communion. Um, they didn't understand what communion was. They were hearing it for the first time. They were getting drunk at communion. And they were being gluttons at communion. And Paul um, had to lay out, this is what communion is all about. It's about you remembering what Jesus did on the cross for you, and before you come up and take communion, look at yourself. Judge your heart. Lord, 
I blew it there to this week at this guy and I said something wrong to that guy and, or whatever the sin might be. And you make sure you put that out. And he's explaining to the Corinthians who have never heard any of this, oh, that's what communion is about? Self-evaluation? And um, one of two things that Jesus asks us to do. Do this in remembrance of me. And the other thing he told us to do was to preach the gospel and teach. And so we find here, Paul is um, using this argument for um, their association and who you hang with. Can I say it that way? Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. The Corinthians did not make the distinction that they needed to be separated from non-believers. Let me just talk about this just a little bit. This is usually what I tell a new believer that just gets saved. I tell them, you're gonna be under spiritual warfare, okay? The best thing you can do for starters is get away from your old friends, but not for long. Get some spiritual meat on your bones so that um, you're the one who's doing the influence to them and they're not being the one who's being an influence to get you to go back to your old ways. Is everybody with me on that? But I said, that's only why, that's only for a season of time until you get this book down good enough where you can be just like Paul. And so why do I do this? Why do I give up everything to uh, preach the gospel? Why, why do you come here on a Wednesday or a Sunday or Saturday um, if this wasn't true? Instead of... Um, um, hanging out with your old friends when you're a young Christian, don't do it. I tell them, the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, and I'll receive you, says the Lord. All right, now you got five years under your belt as a Christian. You got the Bible down pretty, pretty good. And your attitude is, I might go through some hard times, but this is the truth. There's no way I, I can turn away from it because it's true. So now you're in a position to be the influencer. You look for opportunities to witness to people. I wasn't gonna tell the story tonight because it happened today. But I got pulled over for speeding. (laughs) Again, again. And so, it was, I, you know, look, I was, I was doing 35 out of 25, just, you know. But, so, the guy who comes up was a real nice guy. And um, I had my driver's license there. And um, I, the last, uh, it's been a while since I've been pulled over. And he's sitting there and writing down all this information and, and uh, so on and so forth. And my point is, I sinned. There's a law. And when you break the law, you pay the price for it. And he says, I saw him. And when I saw him, I slowed down right away. But he was pointed that way, and I was going this way. And he says, I know you were doing 36, and I know you slowed down. And he smiled at me and says, I'm just going to give you a warning today. 
And I, I didn't say a word because I know what I was gonna do. I was reaching for my God of wonders. And uh, so he, he comes back after a while, and I said, what's your name? He told me his name, and I said, you know, let me, let me say something. I said, the police officers in our country today are getting a real bad rap. They have, there's absolutely no respect for many of the people that are in the police department, and I didn't want to thank you. I called him by his first name. And I just want to, um, I, I made sure that it was all, I wasn't trying to talk myself out of uh, anything. He had already given me my warning. And I said, can I say something to you? And he said, sure, go ahead. And I said, I just want to thank you. Uh, because I don't think people do that in this country today. And um, I'd also like to um, give you this. Because I don't believe in coincidences at all. And I've given hundreds of, of these away. And I explained that's one of the best I, put, I usually use the term documentaries that gives undeniable proof as far as I'm concerned when it comes to um, the argument of creation versus evolution. And um, he said, well, thank you very much for the kind words, and I will take this home, and I will watch it. So as far as I was concerned, it wasn't really me that was speeding. An angel had his foot on, uh, on um, <laughs> and um, the point that I got away from is who you hang out with after you become a believer. Okay, now you're a strong believer. Now nothing's going to turn you around. And remember who he's talking to completely pagan society. And everybody does the same thing. And it's all ungodly. Now he's got to tell them, look, you can't hang out as a new believer with people, evil company corrupts good habits. They will influence you. You can't let them do that. So separate yourself for a season. Now you get strong in the Lord. And nothing's going to turn you away. And all of a sudden, you want your friends to have what you have. And now, you're in a place where you don't have to worry about them talking you into going back to the world. But you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them so that they can get saved. That is what Paul is saying here. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. You know, that should be a no-brainer to any Christian, but not to the Corinthians. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, uh, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know, he's, he's uh, sort of shaking them up a little bit because of, uh, of uh, their association with non-believers. Now in verses 35 to 38, Paul's going to answer two questions. The how and the what. Men fail to distinguish the difference between the resurrection of the body and the immortality of the soul. Both Plato, uh, Plato argued for the immortality of the soul. Paul is arguing for the resurrection of the body. 
of our, our bodies. The Sadducees denied any resurrection after life, after death, and Christ himself had answered them, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. If you're taking notes, that's Matthew 22, 31 through 32. Paul has answered those who denied the resurrection of the body by the resurrection of Christ, whose body was raised up. And so um, Paul is going to now go and get into um, some illustrations. The question is, how can a body that dies be raised up again and be the same? Paul says that we learn from nature that the bodies are not identical. They are the same, but not identical. What do you mean, Dwight? What we're going to get into with um, verse 35 is an illustration where he's going to use an ordinary seed that dies, but then it comes back to life, but it's not the same seed. That seed died, but it brings forth more seeds. All right, let's pick it up. Someone will say, how are the dead rise, and with what body will they come? Foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. For God gives it a body as it pleases, and to each seed its own body. He goes on to say that all flesh is not the same flesh. Um, This is one of the great things about God of Wonders, is it goes through the animal kingdom. And then that goes through all the a lot of creatures that live in the um, in the oceans, and it's absolutely just beautiful and powerful, and um, and basically points out that there's different types of um, of creatures, and they have different kinds of flesh. A big elephant doesn't have the uh, same. F- flesh as a fish that swims in the water. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there's one kind of flesh of men, okay, that's ours, another for flesh for the beast, another for fish, and other for birds. All right, so he pretty much handles the difference with the animal kingdom, but now he's gonna um, diversify just a little bit from that and continue and goes into more of, I guess, astronomy, if you want to call it that. Uh, In verse 41, or 40, he goes from creatures where he says there's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Uh, there's one glory for the sun and another glory for the moon. They're both round. Um, one's literally dead and just a reflection of the sun. And uh, he's making the point here 
that they both look like something that should be out in space, but they're different from one another in that one has a greater glory than the other. And one star differs from another star in glory. That's another thing that they have in God of Wonders, that it, it has this great diversity. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. That's when a person dies. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written that the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural. In other words, the bodies that we have right now are first, and then after a person dies, afterwards, the spiritual. The first man was on earth made of dust, And the second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, well, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. He's using this comparison to the um, plant kingdom saying it's got to die before it can bring forth anything else. And in the dying process, we find um, one disintegrates, just like a a natural body disintegrates, but it brings forth more life. But it has to die first. And that's pretty much how he ends that And he says in verse 30, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Is not that what he said to Nicodemus? That's exactly what he said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And um, um, again, I want to keep reminding you that he is talking to a pagan society that has never heard any of these things that we're talking about. So he's explaining it to them that uh, you must be born again. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. And then we have one of several verses in the Bible that deal with the uh, rapture of the church that I believe is... um, very, very close right now. But he calls it a mystery. But it would have been, when we read that, we include everybody, but the fact is, it really was a mystery to the Corinthians because the Corinthians didn't know anything. Behold, I tell you a mystery. He's talking about death process. You're gonna die, disintegrate, come forth with this new body. And then he says, well, there's one exception. I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed. 
Um, the word change there is um, the, the word metamorphosis. And um, I like the word there, metamorphosis, because that's what happens when a caterpillar um, spins its chrysalis or its cocoon or whatever you want to call it. He goes in, a little furry little thing about that big, and um, two weeks. It takes two weeks for that little bug to spin into something that could only crawl on the, on the, on the ground before into a beautiful creature that can fly. It comes out of his, his cocoon or crystallis, whatever you want to call it, and he immediately has a capacity for flight. They also have instinct. They have brains. Um, we often don't think of the animal kingdom as really being that intelligent. Well, you can have a butterfly from Bangor, Maine, on the East Coast, and a butterfly from Seattle, Washington, and a butterfly from Appleton, Wisconsin, all decide uh, it's getting cold. It's time to go south for the winter. Where do you guys want to go? Well, the butterfly in Bangor, Maine is not talking to the butterfly in Seattle, nor are they talking to the butterfly, the monarch in Appleton, Wisconsin. But here's the deal. They all end up, 90 plus some percent, on a mountain outside of Mexico City in Mexico. You tell me how they know how to get there. That they they have these instincts that this is the place to go and we'll meet there. So I don't know if they talk to each other uh, while they're down there and say, see you next year or that kind of stuff, but nonetheless, the, the, the wonder of it all, I wonder where people, when they hear stuff like that, they can't come to the conclusion there has to be a God. Remember what it says in Romans 1? Oh, we know because of creation that God exists, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean? Well, I don't want to become a Christian. I want to do my thing. I want to live my life. And they look at these unbelievable miracles that are there and are not being honest with themselves. They know there's a God. So, behold, I tell you a mystery we should not all be fall asleep or die, but there will be a generation that will be metamorphosized, changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, we'll get into a lot of detail of this on Sunday. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. I wish that was sooner than later. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on uh, incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then he quotes Hosea thirteen fourteen. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 
Now, I told a little story on Sunday. If you weren't here, I'll tell it quickly again. And it was a pastor with a 12-year-old boy sitting in the front row. And he basically said, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Everybody in the church raised their hand, except a 12-year-old little boy. So after the service, the pastor goes up to him and he said, "Um, I noticed you didn't raise your hand. Um, Don't you want to go to heaven? He said, I thought you meant today. (laughs) We all want to go to heaven. And I think the illustration is, but it's deer hunting season. (laughs) And there's things, and the reason I'm pointing this out is that Death is, I don't, no, nobody wants the pain and the agony and, uh, of dying, you know. You know, if things are happening, whatever happened in America like they're happening in Australia, uh, they're tra- training the troops to go house to house, forcibly armed. And um, um, I'm not saying that could happen, but what if it did happen? Um, my answer to them would be, you're here to give me this, not gonna take it. And then they say, okay, um, you're coming with us. And I'm, I'd say, no, I'm not. Well, then they gotta shoot me. And I'm gonna tell them, don't miss. <laughs> I don't, I wanna die, I just don't wanna die in pain. <laughs> Everybody tracking with me on that one? We don't want pain. Pain is pain. Who wants pain? Paul talks about it here. He says, why do I go through all this stuff? Wild beasts are after me. I get thrown in jail everywhere I go. I get beat up. Um, I got um, 40 lashes five times. Jesus got it one time. Beaten with rods. Hunger often. Fasting, praying. And all the stuff that he went through. So he eventually said, look, I would rather be with the Lord than to be here. That was what he said. And it's a good place to examine our own heart. Would we really rather be with the Lord than be here right now? My answer is absolutely yes. But Paul says, I can't go. The Lord won't let me come home. Because he says it's needful for me to keep keep teaching the Bible. And this is one of the reasons that I believe that no man knows the day or the hour when the Lord's going to call for the rapture of the church. I think he's waiting. Just waiting to see. Here's this guy we're praying for. He's just close. And how many of you have come to the Lord in the last uh, 10 years? You don't have to raise your hands. But aren't you glad the Lord didn't come? 11 years ago. Yeah, he's being long-suffering and he's being patient, not willing that any should perish. But know this, if you die in your sins, you will perish. So the Lord tells Paul, Paul, I know you'd like to come home, I'd like to bring you home, but um, I need you to keep preaching the gospel until the Father decides that time. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who 
given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, now he concludes this chapter on the resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in in the Lord is not in vain when it's done in, in for the Lord. But there's a whole lot of other stuff we all do that is vain. Get an amen on that one? Waste of time, waste of money, so on and so forth. It happens. 16 is just um, very short. It, it does deal with an issue of taking a collection for the church in Jerusalem. I will make comment to that. Um, we don't uh, we believe in tithes and offerings, but I will not speak about money from the pulpit unless it's in the script, scripture or unless we get um, a desperate call from Haiti and say people are dying unless we send them money. Um, the board a while back said, you know, Dwight, you need, you need to let the people know what they gave just to encourage them. I got mixed feelings about it. And... Um, some people came up to me and said, you gave us no warning. You didn't tell us you were going to take a collection for Haiti this morning. We don't know if people are dying of starvation. And uh, we're, we're just not ready for it. And I said, don't worry about it. Uh, make a check out and put Calvary Chapel on it and put Haiti in the memo. So there are times we talk about money. You guys need to know that um, we, we sent $10,000 down already. This is a big praise to the Lord. And uh, that's gonna buy a whole lot, of, whole lot of rice. But we're still got money coming in this coming week and who knows how much that'll be for. So I got mixed feelings about talking about it. But here it talks about um, tithing actually. But it's interesting how Paul words it here. Of course we have to have tithing. And if people don't, tithe, guess what? We don't have a building. We don't have a staff. (laughs) We don't have uh, um, finances to pay people that are on staff at Calvary Chapel. It's just one of those things. But we do not make a big deal of it unless it's in the scriptures. All right, first four verses. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given orders to the church of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as it may prosper that there will be no collection when I come. He didn't want to take the collection when, when he came. He wanted it done before he got there. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters I will send you to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Uh, Paul was saying, just take a guy that's trusted, and if he wants me to go with him, I'll go. If he doesn't, I won't. But if it's fitting that I go also, then I'll go with him. Well, who were these poor people that needed a collection in Jerusalem? The apostles. Remember what happened on Pentecost? 3,000 people get saved. All of a sudden, there was a lot of mouths to feed. A guy named um, um, Barnabas had a piece of land and he sold it. 
And um, he gave all the money because it was a lot of mouths to feed. And um, I'll just leave it at that. So there was a need in Jerusalem. Paul says, I'm letting you know about it. Take a collection. Send somebody down there with it. If he wants me to go with it, fine. If not, I won't. The rest of the chapter is nothing more than the conclusion of 1 Corinthians. Let's read it, it'll speak for itself. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. But it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you. And this is really a verse that needs to be underlined, if the Lord permits. In other words, you say, I'm gonna do this, this, and this. This is what I'm gonna do, Lord willing. Your plan should always be followed with Lord willing. This is what I'm gonna do, Lord willing. But if I tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversities. I like this verse a lot. Uh, He has some great opportunity in ministry, a big open door. And then he throws in the same sentence and he says, and there are many adversaries. Can you imagine the enemy of our soul and the, um, um, the demons that are not incarcerated right now? Um, don't you think if you were Lucifer or an angel that's job is to set up the Antichrist kingdom, don't you think you'd go after the biggest target? That's what I think he's saying here. Who's the biggest target in the New Testament as far as preaching the gospel? Who wrote most of the epistles? Paul. He's he's the guy with a big target on his back. So what does he say about that? I got a great door of ministry open for me, but there are many adversaries. And it's true. He literally got thrown into prison (laughs) wherever he went. Now, he changes the subject to a concern that he has for who he called his son in the faith, and that was Timothy. He says, now, if Timothy comes, see that he may uh, be with you without fear. Now, why would, some, why would you say something like that? For he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him. Now, let me quote another verse um, that Paul is gonna quote later. He says, Timothy, don't let anybody despise you because of your youth. So what does that tell us? That he was young. And he says, don't let some of these people that are just because they're older than you look down upon you simply because you're so young. So spiritually, he was to be respected but he's telling him straight out, make sure you respect this guy. I know he's young, but I don't want you to despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, 
that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. That's interesting. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. And I urge you, brethren, uh, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that we have devout, they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. Now remember, he's saying this in a context that these are older, mature believers. And who is he speaking to? People who have heard none of this at all. So he's telling the Corinthians, you respect these guys because I'm naming them by name. Timothy, um, uh, um, Stephanus, uh, godly men, Apollos, and I want you to listen to them when they're there. I'm glad about the coming of uh, Stephanus for for to to us and a cakeus for what was lacking on your part they supplied for they refreshed my spirits and yours therefore acknowledge such men the churches of Asia greet you Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house so they had a house church All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So you guys, when you're going out the door tonight, make sure you give each other a holy kiss. Come on, that was supposed to be a joke too. (laughs) The salutation is with my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. O Lord, come. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And everybody said it. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for the study of 1 Corinthians and for these 16 chapters. Lord, as we go uh, forth tonight, um, we pray for Uh, The rest of this evening, the rest of this week, I pray for Sunday morning. And we thank you so much for your word. And so, Lord, as we go out tonight, um, uh, just let the love of the brethren abound and help us never take for granted uh, the fellowship that we have, the love that we do have for one another. And it's in your name I pray, amen.